Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? My name is Reverend Dan Dunlap. I'm a UCC pastor doing community ministry for racial justice and solidarity here in Colorado. You can learn more about me at fiercerevremedies.com. And I also coordinate faith work for showing up for racial justice or Surge nationally. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith. As always, I'm grateful to be with you wherever you are listening to this right now. And it's been a while. I've traveled a bit in the last few weeks for work and for fun since the last time I talked with you. And it's good to be on the ground again, seeing how spring is getting muddy and lush. We had a big snowstorm last week, and actually it's raining right now. And we just had some thunder before I started, so if you hear any rumbling, well, you know why. I've been doing a new spiritual practice almost every morning of just doing a sunwise loop around the backyard and visiting all the herbs. I've been talking to them and encouraging them, and it's pretty amazing to see every day how they grow. How the mugwort and nettles start first, then the raspberries, the mint and sage, then the comfrey, hyssop, lavender, and finally the yarrow and lemon balm. Then just today we noticed there's volunteer borage growing under the lilacs in the back, which is very exciting to me. New life. Surprise, new life. Don't we need that right now? The reminder that spring does circle back around, delicate and tender at first, then vibrant and lush. I don't know about you, but I sure do need those signs. What are those signs around you these days? Take a breath and bring them to mind. Let them nestle down in your heart, right down there next to where the ache is. And breathe. So, can we talk about Peter? I know we all want to preach our Good Shepherd sermons, our Jesus is the Good Shepherd and everyone shared everything in common and I shall fear no evil and isn't Christianity awesome here still in the post-Easter glow sermons. But I don't know y'all, when I first read these texts, these slices stitched together by the lectionary editors, I thought, 
oh, I can make a case here for being Christian, meaning we do suffer. We do have to risk for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of justice. And that's the gate. Following Jesus is the gate because he's suffered for the sake of justice and so must we. And God will set a table for us in the presence of our enemies anyway. And if we share all things in common, that's so we can risk more. As white folk, we do need to risk more. That's the word I was going to give you. I mean, I believe in that, but I can't. These texts, well, it's a clumsy stitching together at best. Did you read First Peter? More importantly, did you read what comes around these verses from First Peter? Funny how the lectionary editor sliced it up. Actually, it's not funny at all. What do the editors do? Sit around to decide, hey, let's do the John 10 text. Jesus is a gate and there's sheep and stuff, so let's find some text about shepherds. Psalm 23, of course, and oh, hey, how about this first Peter? You've returned to the shepherd. That sounds good. But uh, started at verse 19 because we don't want anyone to know this part of the letter is about enslaved people enduring the abuse of the enslavers because that makes the enslaved people more like Jesus. Don't put that part in. Y'all, do they think we don't know how to read? Do they think we don't notice the conjunction that starts verse 19? Conjunctions that grammatically connect one idea to the next? You hear my sarcasm coming out. I'm mad. I'm mad because this letter is in our canon. And this editing is irresponsible and harmful. I mean, the whole letter is irresponsible and harmful. And I'm sitting here looking at it, reading it, being mad at it. And maybe it's because I need to be mad at somebody, anybody, because another black boy was killed by police. Jordan Edwards, 15 years old, murdered by police. I'm mad because two immigrant people I know are in sanctuary here in Denver. One is a dear friend, and a third has been kidnapped by ICE in violation of their own letter saying they wouldn't. And immigrants are marching and striking everywhere, and there are wars and serious rumors of more wars, and the earth is crying out against us, and white people and churches keep choosing comfort over risk. And the lectionary wants us to pretend like First Peter ain't talking about enslaved people just putting up with their oppression. I'm mad, y'all. I'm mad because it's paired up with one of the most beautiful things Jesus is supposed to have ever, ever said. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So here's my question. If Jesus is the gate, if having life abundantly is the gate for anyone and everyone inside the sheepfold, and there's no reason to believe he doesn't mean anyone and everyone as in all of us, then is the letter of 1 Peter a good shepherd? Or is it a thief and a bandit trying to climb over the back fence? Hmm. Listen, there's at least four things wrong with this letter. There's probably more, but I've come up with four so far, and that feels like enough for one podcast. Four things. Four things that betray the possibility of a life lived abundantly. Four things that make First Peter itself a betrayal of the gospel. Number one, 
making palatable the enslavement of other humans by equating their suffering with the suffering of Jesus so they should just endure it, accept it. No. Number two. Right after today's text, women get told to accept their oppression under men, with the same Greek verb as in 2.18 about slaves, and that women are weak. No. Those two should be pretty obvious to us right off the bat, right? We reject it at face value, and we reject how these texts have been and continue to be used to harm. But there's more. Number three, the appropriation of Israel. So this letter is written to Gentiles and written by one as well. And the argument the author makes is that Gentile Christ followers are now the true Israel. That's what's happening in the first part of chapter 2. There is zero interest in this letter for what happens to actual Jewish people. Christians are Israel now and even appropriate Israel's suffering. I want to do a whole other podcast about how this letter is a total contradiction of the argument Paul makes in Romans, which argues precisely for the importance of Israel's survival as Israel and that Gentile Christ followers by no means get to supersede Jews or Judaism. But I'll leave it at this for now and simply say, given the history of Christian supersessionism and how it ties directly to anti-Jewish oppression, Christian hegemony, and both of those dynamics role in perpetuating white supremacy, well, we have to say no to that too. And finally, number four, the emperor. In 2.13 and 17, the community is told to accept the emperor's authority to honor the emperor. Well, if you've been listening to this podcast at all, you know already exactly how I feel about that. I read and read this letter trying to work out a subversive reading of it, which you can do with Romans 13, actually, which feels similar, but so totally isn't. Again, another podcast for another day. But I think it means what it says, especially especially when you realize that the instructions about enslaved people and women that come immediately after these imperatives to honor the emperor are Roman codes, Roman rules for Roman households. Honoring the emperor and assimilating these Roman imperial household codes contradicts Paul, contradicts Jesus, contradicts Torah, so basically what this letter tells us about this community is it's okay to appropriate a tradition that's not your own, an historic struggle that's not your own, model yourself on the very imperial values that the founders of your movement were trying to resist and then complain because you're suffering. I mean, that's what I'm imagining anyway, that the suffering this community is dealing with is pushback on this adoption of the Roman imperial way of being and I really hope that's true. But the thing is, here's this letter in our canon. And why wouldn't it be? The history of the white Western church, that's basically what this letter describes. By the time Athanasius gives his Easter sermon outlining the canon, we still hold as canon the church had long sold its soul to Constantine. First Peter is the perfect letter for Constantinian Christianity. 
So I'm mad, y'all. Aren't you mad? We should be mad. And listen, being mad, that's part of our resistance too. Being mad at the text, at the canon, is a way of resisting Western academic learning, itself a form of perpetuating whiteness that teaches us to surgically remove our emotion from what we read. Y'all who taught us to preach as if we were only intellects, as if we can take scalpels to text and our emotional responses to them so that they are palatable for the already comfortable, so that they don't tick off the emperor, the emperor in all of us, all our institutions, that makes us afraid to tell the truth. This weekend I was in a preaching seminar with Dr. Valerie Bridgman and the amazing leaders of Woman Preach. Three hugely important things they stressed to us were, one, being brave in our preaching, two, telling the truth about unredeemable texts is in fact good news, and three, preach the questions that bug you. So in that spirit, let me tell you this good news. First, Peter is unredeemable. First, Peter is a betrayal to the gospel. Because if Jesus is the gate, then you cannot honor the emperor. If God, the one God, is our shepherd, then you cannot honor the emperor. If you're building an alternative economy, then you cannot honor the emperor. That's good news for us. That's good news for us as white people, because whiteness teaches us to honor the emperor, the emperor which is white supremacy itself. We honor the emperor when we honor process and procedure over the urgent needs of people's lives. We honor the emperor when a black boy is killed by a cop and our first response is, but if he hadn't. We honor the emperor when we think as white folk we can appropriate from anybody else's tradition we please. We honor the emperor when the maintenance of our church buildings takes precedence over being a refuge. We honor the emperor when we as white folk choose our comfort rather than risking what we can and then some for the cause of collective liberation. We honor the emperor when we have plenty of funds for faith nurture but no funds for racial justice. We honor the emperor when we let the lectionary editors slice off the bit about enslaved people so we can pretend we're righteous in our suffering. We cannot honor the emperor and follow Jesus. And the good news is we can resist the emperor. We can resist how the emperor shows up in our meetings, in our heads, in our decisions, in our relationships, in our teaching, in our lectionary, in our preaching. We can do this by remembering Jesus is the gate, not the emperor. We can do this by centering abundant life for all. We can do this by asking ourselves as white folks constantly, who am I being accountable to? Who are we being accountable to right now in this decision? Am I honoring the emperor of whiteness or am I centering the expressed needs and experiences of people of color? As I've said before, everything for white folks boils down to accountability. So preach that. Preach First Peter as a betrayal. 
Resist the emperor, resist the lectionary editor's surgically malpracticed precision. If Jesus is the gate, then let us be led out of whiteness by the good shepherd towards life abundant for all creation. For your call to action today, first I want us to do some thinking about appropriation. Appropriation is a tool of colonization that erases indigenous cultures and identities, and even progressive white folk do this. I'm putting a couple of links for you in the resource section of the transcript, and I would love for you to read them and then reflect on how you and or your congregation are appropriating indigenous cultures, identities, and practices. If it's with your congregation, do this together, do it collectively, and then begin to remove those things from your practice, your space, your liturgies, anywhere they show up. Second, as always, keep practicing the spiritual practice of accountability. Keep asking yourself, am I honoring the emperor? Are we honoring the emperor? Or are we centering communities of color? And I'm adding a great resource on how white supremacist culture shows up even in progressive spaces to help you be able to be on the watch for how the emperor shows up in us and our institutions. Thank you for joining me today again. As always, the transcript, as I've said, will include resources at the end to support you in your actions. And let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud and Facebook pages. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. You can interact with me there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts will be available as well on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice, and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much. Oh,